Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com. We have here our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. Our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. And in New York, presumably in Richard Lawson's usual seat, we have Deciders Joe Reed. I am indeed in Richard Lawson's usual seat. So, well, how do you even know that? Because I was here last year. This is where he <laughs> sat last you have year. Good memory. I remember. <laughs> wow. So, if we have Joe on and it is mid-March, mm-hmm. you must know that it is time to do some absurdly early Oscar predictions. Uh, Joe is someone who we rely on every year to kind of take a look at what's ahead and figure things out for us when we are maybe incapable of looking beyond May. So, we're gonna go and look at the year ahead and predict what we think might win some Oscars this time next year. But first, we have to do our due diligence and go back to last year's episode where we did exactly this. Joe sat in that exact same seat and we talked about what we thought would win Oscars this year. And I want to start maybe by uh, reading a list of the titles that we did not mention at all during last year's oh pre-Oscar boy, episode. Here we go. <laughs> no mention of The Shape of Water, which was our Best Picture winner. Lady Bird, The Post, which in our defense had not started filming yet. The Florida Project, I, Tanya, All the Money in the World, which also had not started filming yet. Molly's Game, Disaster Artist, Blade Runner, or In My True Shame. We did not mention Get Out once, and it had been out in theaters for two weeks already. Yeah. Wow. Can, can we defend ourselves there? Well, in semi-defense, I think the get out thing, until we knew that they were going to actually campaign for it, there was probably not as much reason to think like it could be a possibility because, I I mean, for me, until like we got that indication that like, oh, they're really going for it. Like, I think soon after we recorded that podcast, they started doing like those events in L.A. Remember they had that thing where they like they set up like the house? They had like a tea party at the Universal yeah. Backlot. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that happened after we recorded. And I think that was the indication that, like, oh, they're really, like, in this for, like, the long game. And I think once you got that indication, then I think that's where it started popping up on people's lists. Where something like The Shape of Water, I was like, I mean, Guillermo del Toro was coming off of Crimson Peak. It's not like it was that obvious that he was going to have this, like, Oscar contender in his on his hands. But We're learning that this academy is different from the academy exactly. of five years ago but yeah. it's still very easy to sort of like assume the worst cynically and just say oh they'll never go for something like get out right right exactly or something as small as you know ladybird which i think if it was on anybody's radar last year was sort of like sundance had already happened but this sort of like sundance sized project from greta gerwig who had just been like completely overlooked by the academy last year for 20th century women, so it's not like anybody yeah. had any indication and no, that like, they loved her. One after another has right. not really been right. uh, accepted by the Academy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not to like fully like make excuses for ourselves, but because uh, we did have some doozies. God, I can't wait to get into the ones we did predict. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was telling Katie that Obviously, my hands are clean because I wasn't on this episode last right. year, so I have nothing to be embarrassed by. Notice Richard's intelligence by not being here today. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't wait to make a fool of myself uh, this week. But what was interesting, I was listening to the episode earlier this week, and what was interesting is how often you guys did say, well, we can't think of the typical things because the Academy is so different. But I think we were just like so fresh off of the Academy making this bold move in in uh, awarding Moonlight. Right. And we weren't sure how much of that was like a reaction to the election and stuff like that. And then a year later, I think we're seeing just just more evidence that, yeah, this Academy is not going to behave like the Academy in the past and we need to think outside the box of it. Right. Yeah, what I thought was funny is how much we, we talked a little bit about Moonlight and none of us had talked about it on the previous year's episode. And I think Richard was saying like he didn't know Moonlight existed until a few weeks before Telluride. And then Lady Bird followed almost the exact same pattern. Like it's an A24 yeah 
Yeah. movie. It showed up at Telluride. It got these raves and kind of made its way through award season. So I guess I'm assuming A24 will have an ace up its sleeve that we'll learn about in August and <laughs> will be the movie we talk about all of next year. They're pretty good about keeping their cards really close to the chest and then all of a sudden, you know, unleashing these dynamos, which is exciting. It's exciting mm-hmm. for anybody who follows the movies all year long as I do. So let's talk about some of the things we did call correctly. The first movie we talked about on last year's episode was Dunkirk. Um, we kind of, Joe, you know, I think you mentioned it, is like the thing that everyone was leading the conversations with. We all kind of thought maybe Nolan would finally get a Best Director nomination. Uh, Richard uh, floated the possibility of Harry Styles getting an Oscar nomination, which yes. certainly did not come to pass. But Unfortunately. It is interesting looking at Dunkirk as something that was the year ahead favorite and kind of what had that front runner status hanging around its neck the whole time. And I mean, I would say it panned out pretty well for Dunkirk, all things considered, even if it didn't wind up winning Best Picture. I mean, we've seen front runners do far worse. Nobody really likes to be that movie that's out first because all of a sudden all the expectations are on you and there's nowhere to go but down, really. I mean, I always think of like Charlie Wilson's War way back when, where it's just like everybody thought that thing couldn't miss because it was Hanks and Mike Nichols and Julia Roberts and Aaron Sorkin. And so I feel like as a front runner with, you know, nothing but knives out for it, you know, from the other contenders, it could have done a lot worse. It's, it got Nolan that Best Director nomination, which is a huge, you know, had been a huge hurdle for him for so long. In terms of the things that we also called correctly, Joe, you pointed out Darkest Hour to us um, and said it might just only be an acting play for Gary Oldman, which turned out correct. Uh, we all got really excited about Ben Mendelsohn in it. And I, I yeah. just want to take a moment to say he deserved a better Oscar campaign. He was really good in that movie. He was really good in that movie. Stephen Delane as well, I thought. We're both really good in that movie. That was where Mike predicted maybe that he would be playing Hitler. <laughs> oh, right, we didn't know who was playing who. <laughs> and if he had, he would have That's been nominated. Right. He did. I will say that he did hang out with Gary Oldman till the very end of the night at the Vanity Fair Oscar party, yeah. and I did light his cigarette uh, okay. with a lighter that said "Chill Out." <laughs> and so that is some kind of victory for Ben Mendelsohn. It's all it wasn't the victory. A and for walk. you, and for you, yeah, Joe. Joe, I think you based that prediction on the promo photo of Gary Oldman in Makeup Alone, and I kind of think he won for that promo yeah. photo of him in Makeup <laughs> yeah. Alone. Even though we didn't manage to talk about Get Out last year, we did talk about Call Me By Your Name, which had premiered at Sundance, and uh, kind of about how there was so much enthusiasm around it out of Sundance, and that seemed like something valuable. And I think that they did manage to capitalize on that, although, as I think Richard and I talked about in the post-Oscars episode, like it felt like that movie almost waited too long to capitalize on that. Oh, like, the the yeah. passion got it really far, but it feels like it could have gotten it even further if, you know, at that point last March, we we had already heard so much about it and like there was so much energy for it that couldn't help but wane a little bit. They barely opened it, which even after nominations. So it was tough to capitalize on any kind of momentum when you're not letting people see it, which is a shame. Yeah, I think you might have remember me on this podcast whining that I hadn't seen it yet. And you guys were all talking about it because it was it would refuse to open in San Francisco. You know, the game mecca of the United no States. States. It was like it was insane. Brilliant strategy. We also managed to talk about Mudbound a little bit, which Mike, you and Richard had seen at that point. And Joe, you were really excited about the idea of a Mary J. Blige supporting actress nomination. I think because at that point, it seemed like such a crazy thing that might happen. But look, another correct prediction. I'll take them where I can get them is what I will say about that. I think we were maybe anticipating Netflix being a little bit more of a power player than it wound up being. Like Mudbound did pretty well for itself, but that movie is so like straight down the line for Oscars. And then you get something like the Meyerowitz stories or Oak Joe that really didn't like stake a claim. Do we feel like Netflix, is it just kind of a slow build or did they disappoint in the way they did this award season? I feel like going into last year because of the like 
the failures for Beasts of No Nation, which was so like hyped to be like the big breakthrough for them, and then nothing happened in 2016. Mudbound getting what it got is a victory, just in fact that like it pushed into the feature film categories at all, which there was real talk that like there was going to be resistance to that from the establishment Academy voters. So the fact that that got proved wrong, you know, in the categories outside Best Picture, it feels like now there's at least momentum where like nobody's really talking about like, oh, can Netflix break this glass ceiling? Like it doesn't really feel like that's a thing anymore. So in that respect, I think it's good. Um, I think now it's like, well, what will be the Netflix Best Picture contender? And because they release so many movies and the level of quality varies so wildly, it's it's tough to tell. So it's not going to be the Cloverfield Paradox is what you're saying? I really don't uh. think so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, one more correct call that we made at uh, the very end of the episode. Uh, Richard brought up the title that he described as three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri or Nebraska. He wasn't really sure at that point. And Joe, you suggested it could get Woody Harrelson the Supporting Actor nomination, which uh, right on. Yeah, I was very big on Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson and I will admit Naomi Watts last year were my big like supporting contenders because I thought Naomi Watts being in, you know, uh, remember, the, remember the Glass Castle? Remember talking about that movie at all? Um, we definitely did. <laughs> Oh boy, um, that's a that's a real ugh. anyway. Um, but yeah, Woody Harrelson in I thought he was would be the featured supporting player. I sort of didn't see Sam Rockwell coming at all until I saw the movie. But again, take it while I can get it. But you guys all also were stumping for Fran McDormand, so that's another correct call. Yeah, good job. Yeah, that was that was easier to see coming down the pike. I feel like that was even just reading the description of that movie. I was just like, oh, okay, that sounds like something she can really <laughs> tear into. Well, and Mike, you said something not about three billboards, but I think that wound up being really prescient, just about how you know we were in this hyper political era. I think maybe even more so a year ago than now. And if you like, if people feel mobilized that they want to do something and say something with their vote that they can really get behind a movie and I'm not really sure that wound up being the case for Shape of Water the best picture winner but I think uh, as we talked about the three billboards narrative really got driven by that and I think that's going to continue happening next year and I also predicted me too I don't know if you if you remember that part of the episode. <laughs> you said they're being like yeah. I know something about Harvey Weinstein I can't say it yet <laughs> thank god I did not know anything about <laughs> oh, Harvey Weinstein actually. this will be the first time we do this kind of episode without considering like what strings will Harvey be pulling? In fact, I think last year and, and this upcoming year will be sort of motivated by a reaction to Harvey. Right? I still think the current war can do it. I don't know about you guys. I, uh, <laughs> I, I believe in it. Well, I mean, on that topic briefly, you know, Harvey was famous for sort of like calling a congressional uh, hearing anytime he had a movie yeah. that could somehow be remotely tied into a, a major topic. Yeah. And so we didn't see that this year and we didn't see the sort of like mudslinging of right. years past. I think a lot of the Harvey acolytes were just decided to hold their fire because either they actually were glad to finally morally not have to do that. Yeah. Or because they thought it would look gross and they didn't want to be associated also that. with it. One or, one or the other. We'll find out this year yeah. which it was more of. Um, but that definitely changed the the complexion of the race from yeah. what we would have expected otherwise. For a race that was so close, it wasn't really acrimonious beyond, like, I guess, I mean, Twitter's always acrimonious about everything, but uh, maybe not in the actual campaigning. Yeah. Well, and it ended up being, like, the New York Times criticism rather than, like, some sleazy, right. you know... Scandal. Uh, scandal. Right. Mm -hmm. John Nash is a Nazi kind of stuff right. that yeah. from yeah, years past. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
Remember? Remember those days? Yeah. Yeah, there were some good ones. We'll end our flashback by beating ourselves up a little bit and looking at our um, our gun to our head best picture predictions. Joanna, you weren't on this episode. Did you wind up making an official prediction? I think I said that you would, and I can't remember if you actually did. <laughs> yeah, you threatened you were going to make me, and you never did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clean. So you predicted Shape of Water, actually. Joanna, that's crazy. Wow, I'm, I'm pretty good, There's guys. no proof. Yeah, that's amazing. Good job. Uh, so, Joe... You went with Detroit, which as we, we discussed it in a good bit of detail, there was a lot of reason to believe in Detroit at that point. Yeah, I think I didn't pay enough attention to the release date. I think I was still thinking like, oh, they'll change that August release date once they know, like, once they have a handle on their campaign, they'll push that to the fall. And then they never did. And then it opened. And I was just like, oh, oh, that was <laughs> that was not a great call. But, you know, again, looks good on paper. But uh, it did not. It was not the movie to speak to the moment, let's say. No. I wound up going with Darkest Hour, uh, kind of as a result of you convincing me, Joe. And I, I will take credit that I uh, picked the only Best Picture nominee of all four of us. So that's uh, good. points to me. I have no intention of repeating that this year because God knows you can't uh, get that lucky twice. Um, Richard, who is not here, went with Mary Magdalene, which uh, A, was a Weinstein release, and B, isn't even coming out until this year. So And also that trailer looks bad now. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise, great pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, you kind of got saddlebagged uh, because Joe told I us Ready Player One was going to be a 2017 release and wound up coming out uh, in like a week. So IMDb lied to me. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, we'll we'll see. But I I think uh, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to take from this uh, the heartening thought that this whole thing isn't rigged and that the Academy isn't as much of a sort of mindless machine that we sometimes say it is and that actually like you have to make good movies in order to get into the the conversation. Yeah, that it's hard to predict is probably a point in the Academy's favor. Yeah. Here's the credit I'll give Mike before I give myself a little bit of credit as well, (laughs) which is this. Um, Mike's argument for Ready Player One is that he really felt like it was time for a genre movie to win Best Picture. Uh, He was saying specifically sci-fi but like he was talking about genre and i would say that shape of water is a genre film like that we none of us would have expected uh in previous years to win best picture so thank you very much for i almost (laughs) brought that up myself and i thought surely one of these people will will remember I'm going to give Mike partial credit for that. Um, <laughs> and I will say that uh, not on this podcast, but an old defunct podcast that I did last year called Gen Pop, we predicted like what our favorite movies of 2017 would be. And I did pick Lady Bird and that did wind up being my favorite uh, thing. And I did that back in January and I nice. told you this already. The only reason I knew about it was because Lucas Hedges at a Manchester by the Sea event had announced that he was doing a high school musical movie with Greta Gerwig. And that's what I thought it was. It's not quite that, but I still love it. But that is it, what so. Danny would think Lady Bird is about. True, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's his big moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, Joe, on the topic of it being really hard to predict next year's Oscars, do you want to predict next year's Oscars? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> let's jump right back into it. It's hard to know where to start because it's just really a list of a ton of upcoming movies. But last year, you know, you said here's the real obvious one coming down the pike. Does it feel like there's a Dunkirk in here that we're all going to be looking at for months and months as a, as a heavy hitter? Well, it's funny because I was sort of thinking about how, like, spectacularly bad I did at predicting last year. And I had a much, like, I thought I had a much better handle on the race last year than I do this year. This year seems like a whole lot of stuff that, like, Maybe could possibly, but there's no, there isn't a Dunkirk in here, I think. And I think a lot of that is, you know, we talk about the changing Academy, and I think the Academy is always going to go for an important movie, but I think what they define as important 
is shifting and has shifted where before it would be a lot of like, you know, costume dramas and important biopics would be sort of slam dunks. And there's still like Darkest Hour was a biopic and, and, and things like that. But I think there's a lot more importance put on movies that are, you know, important now and in, you know, in the moment. And I think the only thing, the, you know, I said last year about Call Me By Your Name that it's important to have, you know, it's almost like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Where, like, if you know a movie has, like, connected with people, that's so much better than, like, thinking a movie will connect with people. Which is why I feel like Black Panther, if not to be a front runner, but, like... Black Panther as a nominee feels like a really good call right now, just because I feel like more than any other superhero movie, this one feels like there's some heft to it, there's some importance to it, and people are going to really stump for it. And Ryan Coogler has the back, you know, the history as yeah. well. Yeah, Fruitvale Station and Creed were both movies that I feel like people think were, you know, worthy enough to get nominations, and they didn't, and so there's a little bit of a, you know, it's his time. Well, and a lot of people are annoyed that Wonder Woman didn't get nominated yeah and a lot of people are annoyed that the ratings for the oscars suck so badly <laughs> yeah that's so. another even though thing. they talked about black panther as much as possible during the oscars they sure right? did they sure did yeah yeah i think a costume at the bare minimum for ruth carter right oh yeah, yeah. we've talked about that too that was like when you had seen black panther none of us had you were like the costumes yeah costume for sure but i think you're right it does feel foolish to I don't know, repeat the same way we treated Get Out and not take this seriously as something that could go all year. Um, I think it's possible, uh, though they can't do it because of their crazy timeline, it's possible that Marvel now wishes they had released Black Panther later in the year uh, because then I think there would be no doubt. But if Get Out had legs, you know... um, Right. I would argue the opposite, actually. I think what got Get Out in is that we had so much time to think about it and its quality kind of grew over time as people saw it again and again. Its pop culture like relevance became more intense. And I think Black Panther could benefit from the same thing as like, here's a superhero movie that you have to take seriously. And people say it again and again and again until you do. Though I... I still suspect that the Marvel bias and like the idea that they're like the big popular kids, they don't deserve a seat at the Oscars. I I feel like that could hit it, even though, as you're saying, Joe, like it's got a relevance way beyond that. Well, I think I don't anticipate that Infinity War, um, you know, their big movie steals the Oscar bias. Will be no, but I don't think it'll be bad. Um, But I do think something that I don't think Wonder Woman really deserved to be a Best Picture nominee, but like the one thing that really um, hampered it was Justice League coming out after Wonder Woman, using Wonder Woman in a terrible movie. You know what I mean? So like, if Infinity War is terrible, which I don't think it will be, but if it did, and the Black Panther characters and Wakanda are in it, that might sort of dampen the reputation of the movie that came before it slightly. I might say the other side of that, though, which is that we're going to have a whole year of comic book movies and superhero movies being compared inferior to Black Panther, which I think will be, you know, every time there's a big blockbuster that'll come out, it's going to get compared, you know, negatively to Black Panther. And I think that will only help Black Panther. I'm going to make a giant confession because it's instructive, which is that I still haven't seen Black Panther. All right. And it's partly because it's just been a really busy month. It sure has. But I also think like a lot of awards voters have not seen Black Panther. And so one thing that's an interesting question to me is, like, how are they going to screen it? Yeah. Like, can they actually – I'm assuming that Are their this, home TVs big enough? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I'm assuming that like, uh, these, this kind of movie really, really – it helps to be in a theater rather totally. than watching it on a, on a small screen. Yeah. 
So I think that that, you know, as with Universal, which put a big effort into Get Out, yeah. you know, like it'll be interesting to say if they feel that they can really do it and have a real chance and that it means anything to Marvel. Right. Also, like, is it even worth it? Right. Then right. I think that they'll have to really, you know, come up with a robust screening schedule for for old white people. In yeah. The Academy. <laughs> yes. That's what they'll call them. The old white people screening. For, yeah. <laughs> for Black Panther. Have some really... fun, folks. <laughs> come on. It's OK to talk. It'd be really interesting if the year that Disney owns Fox Searchlight and kind of has a real foot in the Oscar race for the first time in a long time, they also have a robust Best Picture campaign for Black Panther. That's a it's a funny coincidence for them to happen that way. They'll have some corporate retreats. I guess large corporate acquisitions are complicated. I don't know. Imagine, though, just like poor Steve and Nancy at Fox Searchlight. Like, why don't you have a Black Panther? Yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard, guys. <laughs> What's this little $5 million crap? Should we start with what Fox Searchlight has? Because I was looking through the list that you have, Joe, and you have a couple of titles from them. They have won, I believe, three of the last five Best Picture statues. So betting on them doesn't seem like a bad idea. They're pretty Um, good. They've got one movie that already has a trailer out, the uh, Melissa McCarthy movie, Can You Ever Forgive Me, which had a real dark, strange tone to me. Like, I wasn't as certain about that one. But maybe the the Fox Searchlight movie I'm most intrigued by is the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, The Favorite. Would you like to tell us about it, Joe? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, the it's a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, so a logline isn't going to really give you too much. But it's um, a political comedy, I would say, right? Or, 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 or a dynastic comedy, right? It's a body, acerbic tale of royal intrigue, passion, envy, and betrayal. That's a the monarchical one. comedy. Yes, a monarchical Any log comedy. Line- <laughs> Any logline that uses the word body, I'm in. Oh, like, totally. I am in. And it's Emma Stone, which I think is a very exciting project for her in the wake. That's a good sort of like, I've won Best Actress, so I have a little bit of leeway to work with some really interesting directors, which is great. And she's playing Queen Anne, I guess. Like, it's, it's about Queen Anne, yeah. And we saw with The Lobster that, like, there's sort of the Academy is inching closer towards Lanthimos's, uh wavelength. Which also feels like it's, you know, good for the Academy, good for Lanthimos, good for sort of everybody. And this movie will probably have to be more accessible, but it could be. Didn't the Academy then inch back away from him with Killing of a Sacred Deer? I mean, you would almost have to inch away from right. Killing yeah, yeah, of a Sacred yeah. Deer. Like that is, in, in, I mean, rightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps. Like that's, yeah. I mean, that's maybe Lanthimos also just being like, you know, try to like this one. Um, yes, okay. Which I really like that movie, but that that is that is a <laughs> that is a confrontational movie, I will say, to uh-huh. say the least. Um, I think it's... Uh, Wait, what was the other one you mentioned, Katie? Oh, the uh, Melissa McCarthy movie. Uh, yeah, Can You Ever can you Forgive ever for- Me? Which is, you know, for a movie that's set for November, that they have a trailer out now. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting. Um, but it's Mariel Heller who directed Diary of a Teenage Girl, which we all, I mean, I really loved. And that felt like the opening sort of statement of a director who would be going places, which is very cool. And I've been waiting ever since... Bridesmaids, because McCarthy gets the rare, you know, comedy acting nomination for Bridesmaids. And you always got the feeling that she has something in her, a more sort of hefty, dramatic, you know, role. And this feels like it could be it. I remember thinking, you know, erroneously, of course, that like maybe St. Vincent would be that when that movie got announced. Um, and she sort of fell way into the background on that movie. But this I one feels literally like it's forgot really... she was in that movie. Exactly. See? Um, but this one feels like it's really front-loading her, and I really like the idea of her teaming up with Mariel Heller, and the trailer looks really interesting, and it's sort of, as you said, it's sort of like dark and downbeat, which might not be 
the easiest sell. But if it, you know, I could see them very easily selling, you know, Melissa McCarthy, her, you know, you know, big dramatic transformative role breakthrough. Yeah, exactly. Also, it's a film about how horrible the press that covers Hollywood yeah, it's is. Celebrity <laughs> biographer. So that, that could definitely have traction. Yeah, for Guys, sure. They're gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> It. They hate us. There's one other Searchlight <laughs> movie I wanted to bring up where it, they have the next David Lowry movie, director of Ghost Story, and it's him with Casey Affleck again, a star of Ghost Story, and also Robert Redford, who was in his Peach Dragon. Um, and it sounds like Robert Redford is playing a uh, bank robber who uh, is planning one last heist from his retirement community. I, 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 it sounds like it could be like the bucket list, but I would trust David Lowry to do anything but that. I'm super intrigued. I feel like a title like The Old Man and the Gun maybe doesn't play as well right now in this political climate. <laughs> um, Not to mention Casey Affleck. Yeah, right. It's, it's yeah. Like, What are the things against it? It's Casey Affleck, old men, and guns. It's like it's not really <laughs> anything that's too popular right now. And I always feel like with Redford, I was so like convinced that All Is Lost was going to be such a such a breakthrough for him, you know, with Oscar because he's only been ever nominated for an acting Oscar one time. He's obviously won for directing. He won for directing Ordinary People, but he's only ever been nominated for acting for The Sting. And he's this like you know huge player in Hollywood, and everybody sort of expected that All Is Lost was going to be at the very least a nomination, and that was the year that like he got snubbed and Hanks got snubbed, and it was really. Too bad. Um, and Lowry feels like I loved a ghost story, but like that is a decidedly not not built for Oscars. And I wonder if Lowry is maybe not going to be on the Academy's wavelength for a while, if ever. Hmm. Well, I feel like he has it in him because I think I mean Pete's Dragon, which I loved, really does feel like a down the middle sort of sentimental Oscar-y kind of thing, even though it was Disney and that's not going to get nominated. But like he has that in him. It's not all weird Casey Affleck, Rooney Mara romances, you know. In, Slow in pie his... eating. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like David Lowry a lot. I would like Me him too. to maybe not work with um, Casey Affleck anymore. Can sure. I talk about a an actor for a second that I'm starting to get good feelings about? Yeah. Like putting my chips on someone that will go unnoticed this year. We're looking at these Fox Searchlight pictures and back to back, the favorite, the Yorgos Lanthimos that we just talked about and the Tolkien biopic both have Nick Holt in them. Yeah. And I feel like Nick Holt is someone that like I could really like feels like needs to be in as like a supporting like he's not gonna get supporting for the Tolkien movie but maybe supporting for the favorite or lead for the Tolkien biopic which feels like a classic old school Oscar so like probably I shouldn't be thinking that way but I just I like Nick Holt a lot I think he's great in everything and I think he's like one of those people like an Andrew Garfield or something like that who's like just been putting in all these solid performances and like I could see the Academy being like oh yeah Nick Holt Joanna, sure. Joanna, I see you walking down the Donald Gleason path that I walked down last year, and I just want to uh. caution you about getting your hopes up <laughs> because I I know how that feels, and it, and it feels correct and right that the the Academy should should latch on to Nick Holt because I love him too. I will say he will he is good in a movie that may or may not ever be seen, but I saw most of the current war at Toronto, and uh, Nicholas Holt plays Nikola Tesla in it. He's really good in it. <laughs> it's not going to get anybody anywhere, but he's good in it. Yeah, he's what that movie should have been about, and yes. it's it's not. <laughs> yes, indeed. This year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. 
Each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum-sealed so that it always stays that way. I can customize my box or go with one of theirs. Either way, I get exactly what I want. ButcherBox is really the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. With ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for just about $6 a meal. And they even have free shipping nationwide, except for Alaska and Hawaii. So start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence. Can we talk about the Dick Cheney movie? Because I feel like this is a really interesting one. It's got a December 21st release date, so you know that like they believe in it. It's Adam McKay coming off of The Big Short, which is you know, was a real sort of like career pivot for him, which all of a sudden now from being the Anchorman director, now he's an Oscar nominated director. It still seems like such an odd choice for a project. It's going to be really hard for me to imagine people getting behind a biopic of Dick Cheney as something that they want to, you know, see. throw their votes to. Right. Or see. Right. Exactly. And but this yet, is going to be like a liberal comic book version you, I can't of imagine Dick it wouldn't Cheney. be. I mean, right. Adam McKay's Twitter is basically right. like just, you right. know. MSNBC. Oh, totally. But like, is it going to be W, which is going to be like maybe like too weird for right. people to like latch onto? Or you know, I've I've you know seen people talking about like, is this the Amy Adams movie? Because now every Amy Adams movie is is this the Amy Adams movie that's well, one of them has got to be it eventually. I mean, one would hope. Um, so she's playing uh, Cheney's wife. Christian Bale is playing Dick Cheney. Sam Rockwell is playing George W. Bush. There's a lot to <laughs> that sort of... That is kind of inspired. Yeah, right? Like, don't you want to <laughs> see that, like, one. right now? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's pretty good casting. Is this going to be another, like, should we call it now that Christian Bale wins for a p- promo photo of him in the Cheney makeup? <laughs> I mean... Like, <laughs> and the shaved eyebrows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the makeup does look very good. Yeah. It does. And Christian Bale's one of those guys who's, like, going to gain the 40 pounds to play, you oh, know. Oh, absolutely. Nothing Christian Bale likes more than gaining or losing weight yeah. for a role. Yeah. When is his heart going to explode? Oh, God. <laughs> like, honestly, though. Yeah. I do feel like there's this strain of not really nostalgia for the Bush era, but kind of this, like, weird affection being like, don't you just miss when, like, the people in power were corrupt in these predictable ways? And right. And we could see. And, like, I d- Our political enemies weren't, like, monsters. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like there's a, there's a way of looking looking back at this that could work as a contrast to the Trump era. But I agree, Joe, that like the idea of sitting down with Dick Cheney for two hours is just like, oh, can I do anything else? I can't say I'm not wildly intrigued to see it. Like if it were, you know, playing right now, I'd be you'd see like a cloud of Joe shape here and I would just be off, you know, seeing this movie. (laughs) And we know from Adam McKay that it's going to be probably going to be kind of antic, right? It's not going to be ponderous. It's going to be like the crazy story about Dick Cheney hijacked the government. Right. And by the way, for all the Trump craziness, like this motherfucker started two wars. Margot Robbie will be there back in the bathtub just sort of explaining (laughs) Blackwater to you or something. Yes, yes, I hope Selena Gomez is back at that poker table because I really liked all of that. I just wrote down the name Nicholas Holt. I'm going to put it 
it in a in a jar and save it and whisper to it every day <laughs> with Donald Gleason's yeah. name on the no just kidding I'm gonna do another one because that's because the untitled Dick Cheney project is Annapurna I'm gonna go to another Annapurna project and say Creed two mm. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah not dr- directed by Ryan Coogler it's a Stephen Cable Jr. who's a director I'm unfamiliar with he's done like some episodes of Blackish and stuff like that but I don't know that I'm gonna put my chips on the movie I don't know that I'm gonna put my chips on the director but Michael B. Jordan Michael right B. like I. I feel like the Academy is going to be like, yeah, we messed up not nominating him for the first one. So like here, we, you know, provided the movie is good at or all. Is it, or does this go the, the way of like, you know, to, to, to leap Sylvester Stallone things from like First Blood to Rambo. Right, right. Yeah. You know, like yeah, it depends yeah. on what they're trying to do with the Creed franchise. Now, it's always the, so. The Rocky franchise. Yeah, it's so rare for a sequel to you know, hit with the Academy when the original didn't, that uh, that feels like an obstacle. But Michael B. Jordan certainly is cresting in terms of, you know, popularity and notoriety. And it feels like it's his time. His Friday Night 451 is just on HBO, right? I couldn't remember if that was on Yes, I believe that's right. Yeah, Uh, But But if if he gets nominated for this, if he gets nominated for Creed 2, which, yeah, okay, admittedly has Dolph Lundgren in it, so I don't know what to tell you. But, like, if he gets nominated (laughs) for Creed 2. Classic Oscar bait, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. That will really also be a nomination for Black Panther, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that adding up. Maybe just give it to him for Black Panther. I was going to say, just campaign him for Black Panther and supporting. I would absolutely vote for him. Oh, he's so good. I would too. Can I bring up two titles that I am going to apologize now that I will get confused between now and whenever they come out and I can tell them apart? We have Boy Erased with Lucas Hedges and we have Beautiful Boy with Timothy Chalamet. It's the Battle of the Ladybird Boyfriends and I'm never going to remember which one is which. It's true. Lucas Hedges is being sent to gay conversion therapy and Timothy Chalamet is on drugs. I feel like is how we have to. (laughs) Well, if you, if you, Read Beautiful Boy, which is a really harrowing book. I think that will it's a like, memoir. Yes, that will then that will stick with you. Yeah, it's a memoir of a Bay Area kid named Nick Sheff, and his dad David Sheff wrote the book. And um, they're both authors, and I've seen them do a lot of speaking engagements. Nick Sheff actually um, wrote an essay for us. Uh, last year around 13 reasons why about his suicide attempt because he was one of the writers on 13 reasons why he wrote this really gripping harrowing like essay for us on like why he thought the anyway i'm off topic point being these read the books and i won't get them confused Well, read the memoirs, but also like in terms of campaigning, David and Nick Chef have been going around talking about these awful things that happened in their own lives. They are like affluent, intelligent um, men from the Bay Area, but have been talking about these like really grimy things that have happened to them, uh, you know, in their lives as father and son. And I think if anyone is like well poised to sort of put their life on the line for an Oscar campaign, it would be this the Chef family. My understanding is Plan B. I think we've even talked about this. Is very confident in Timothy for that movie, and and so we could see a repeat yeah. of Timothy against an older actor with a lot of makeup. A makeup yeah <laughs> that's actually not bad you know i mean that could and that's that could an interesting narrative in and of itself and it's of course from the director of the broken circle breakdown which was an oscar nominated foreign language film uh felix van grainigan i'm gonna mess up pronouncing that name maybe which also is intriguing oh wait but real quick on beautiful boy he's opposite steve carell as his dad um who let's not forget got a golden globe nomination for battle of the sexes in which i had such a hard time watching him but you know he, he had, had a he got nomination, nomination for foxcatcher um, he like he's definitely in the mix with all these things. And I really look forward to the idea of him going a little less high key in something like this. He's got a couple movies this year too. He's got Beautiful Boy, which is a huge, you know, 
Beatty kind of a role. And then he's the lead in the um, Robert Zemeckis movie, um, The Women of Marwin, which is an adaptation of the 2010 documentary Marwin Call, which was also like won a bunch of like Sundance and South by Southwest awards and things like that. And that is, um, it's tough to say exactly what it's going to be about because Zemeckis has said that he's going to really like, you know, really adapt it, but it's about, there's um, going to be a lot of technology in it somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's this guy who got, you know, beat up real bad and he, uh, decided to cope with it by staging these like elaborate sort of dioramas of world of this world war two, essentially like storyline. Um, and I guess Zemeckis, I mean, Zemeckis, the last time he adapted the story that was big in a documentary was The Walk, and that didn't turn out super well. But it's an interesting project for sure. And, uh, you know, it's another sort of big meaty role for Carell. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, Boy Erased, the other one. Yes. Yes. The other one. <laughs> Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges, Joel Edgerton directing, which, like, if you saw The Gift, like, he's he's a good director. Joel I'm Edgerton really has sort of a good track record. Like, it's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, the guy who was in The Great Gatsby. Yeah, he sort of gets sort of, like, laughed off for being kind of, you know, a gruff, mumbly sort of third lead or whatever in movies with a lot of guys in it. But, you know, The Gift really showed me a lot in terms of what he can do as a director. It's Hedges, and his parents are played by Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe. Which, you know, that's pretty cool. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that's Australia pretty high represent. profile. Yeah. He, he told her not to cry in her Oscar speech and she cried anyway. So that's that's my main Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe touchstone. But <laughs> I mean, Lucas Hedges is really like his career is really on an upswing and he's one of the more exciting younger uh, younger actors out there. So I'm really excited to see what he does with this. And obviously, like gay conversion therapy is still a thing that like if you're talking about a movie that speaks to an issue that is pressing today, like it won't be hard to, you know, rally support around something like that. Yeah, surely they hope Mike Pence somehow speaks out for or against this movie and, uh, and just throws it into the cultural conversation. Can I pivot to another uh, actor turned director? I'm really, really intrigued by A Star is Born, which has kept oh, very yeah. quiet, even though it stars Lady Gaga. It's it got scheduled for an October release date. I mean, who knows what to expect from Bradley Cooper as a director, but it feels like if this hits, it could hit really, really big. Here's my prediction right now. Golden Globe nominations for Bradley Cooper and Stephanie Germanata, a.k.a. Lady Gaga. Like, that feels like, Definitely. write that down in stone, right? This was like when Into the Woods was coming out, and I was like, Emily Blunt for Golden Globe nominee. Like, it's, it's just going to happen. Well, Emily so. Blunt gets a Golden Globe nomination for leaving her house. 100%. That is true. <laughs> Here's, here is another thing I'm writing on a piece of paper. And actually, I wrote it on VF.com when this project was announced. Oscar for Lady Gaga for best song. I mean, best song, whatever. But, like, Lady Gaga is going to get her Oscar for best song for this movie. That's yeah. what I feel like. Writing it down on a piece of paper. And obviously Bradley Cooper <laughs> is somebody who the Academy really loves. Got three nominations in four years. Or wait, three nominations in three years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. Like that happened not too long ago. So now this is his directorial debut. I think they're at the very least going to pay attention to it. He's somebody who they really like. What about this crazy Scorsese thing? The Netflix movie, The Irishman. Yeah. Which looks the $150 like... $150 million budget. That was still filming as of like a couple weeks ago and had been filming for like a year. Okay. This is what cracks me up about this movie. There's, they've spent like $60 million or something yeah. de-aging Robert De Niro. Yes. A man who literally got an Oscar nomination for playing a young version of, Mar- of, of Marlon <laughs> Brando, Brando right. in like basically the same movie. Yeah. Like why? Why? He's never been young. This thing could either be 
good or not very, yeah. very not good. I think the technology is just not there for them yet. You know, like it's fine for a Marvel movie to see Kurt Russell with like a crazy plastic face, which he swears is just makeup. But like, you know, th- this is just not going to work. Yeah. Yet. Well, and it's one thing to see Kurt Russell right? with a crazy plastic face in a movie that's like set on distant planets. Like seeing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this has all the makings of. You know, you don't want to like say, Heaven's Gate. Too. Yeah, exactly. It's like this is, it has disaster <laughs> written all over it, and yet it's Scorsese. Scorsese is always going to be taken seriously. I feel like that's what Netflix is banking on. That like you know we've we've got our Scorsese movie. We now you know are going to be taken seriously in a way that like even with Mudbound, it felt like they were fighting for that. Um, and yet, I don't know. I can't imagine. I haven't talked to anybody who's excited gang, about this. You know, yeah. All, Joe Pesci's in it. Oh like, yeah, everybody's in it. And so much expectation, and yet, like, I don't know. Ugh. I'd be so excited were it not for this dumb de-aging thing that they're doing. I think it's just so dumb. They should have given it to Nicholas Holt. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> and they could have paid him $40 million and saved 20 Yeah, yeah, that's there absolutely true. There you go. Should we look at what else Netflix has? Like, just on the list that you've got, Joe, I see they have uh, J.C. Shandor's Triple Frontier, which, as we were discussing, has had, like, seemingly every actor in it before it actually started filming. Yeah, I would be surprised if that movie made it out this year, but, like, who knows? Because that project has been bounced around like crazy. And maybe now that, you know, Netflix is on board. Netflix took over for Paramount, I'm pretty sure, was the case there. And they, like, totally revamped the cast. Sent them all onto a beach and gave them all back tattoos or whatever, from what I understand. But if that back does get- tattoo the movie, <laughs> <laughs> that's a sequel to Back Tat. It's uh, Back Tattoo. If it does get released this year, you can imagine that like Netflix will really, you know, try and push that. And you know, J.C. Chandor, a, a most violent year did not do what I think we expected it to do as an awards player. But we could maybe chalk that up to. You know, release dates and poor campaigning and yada, yada, yada. But did he also do All Is Lost? Being really... Yes, he did do All Is Lost. So yeah, that's two, uh, two award season almost also rans in a row, which that's is a good point. Two strikes. And then the other Netflix movie is he has another Noah Baumbach movie, which is really interesting given that I feel like a lot of people thought the Meyerowitz stories didn't get the fair shake it deserved from Netflix. Like, are they going to uh, make up for I Lost loved, Time here? I loved the Meyerowitz stories so much. And this one, set for November, for late November, starring Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, Greta Gerwig. Like, it's a really great cast. And, you know, Bombeck's a, a director who sort of has set up his own little cottage industry of movies. And I think Mike mentioned before that, like, Oscars haven't really been interested in him. He's got, I believe, a screenwriting nomination for... Squid and the Whale. Was it the Squid and the Whale? Okay. Um, I thought it was... Uh, um, Margo at the Wedding. Royal Tenenbaums. Because didn't he and Owen Wilson script the Royal Tenenbaums? Anyway. Um, but... You never know with him because he's, you know, I think he can he has it in him to be so good. And I think if you just like if you catch on the right way, I think Myrit's stories, among other things, was deep six by the fact that like its big focus supporting performance was given by Dustin Hoffman at a point where Dustin Hoffman was getting, you know, squarely in the crosshairs. Of and it had a subplot about a, a girl being molested by an older man and kind of brushing it off in a way that felt really tonally off last fall. That's a good point. I think the thing with Noah Baumbach, who I quite like and I think is deeply talented, the thing about his partnership with Netflix is that his movies can feel a little TV already. And so to put it on your TV is to really make it not feel like a movie at all. Versus there are some movies that premiere on on Netflix and you're like, that's still a movie. Like Mudbound. uh, Yeah, you know, whereas... 
Yeah, I think the Meyerowitz stories, at least, uh, it I liked it so much. I watched it and Mudbound, like I think right, right around the same time, and it just it felt like so TV to me. I personally think Meyerowitz stories is was a miss for him, and that he'll do better the next time. Yeah. if he makes a better movie. Well, personally, this could be the one. Yeah, <laughs> I need to talk about the best cast outside of Ocean's Eight. Which is Steve McQueen's Widows. Oh, yeah. Yes. Where we have Viola Davis, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, Cynthia Revo, Carrie Coon, Liam Neeson, Colin Farrell, Robert Duvall, Andre Holland, Daniel Kaluuya. And as far as I know, none of them have been given de aging CGI makeup. So, uh, <laughs> It's such a great premise, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's very exciting. Let me read the logline. Set in contemporary Chicago amidst a time of turmoil. Four women with nothing in common except a debt left by, behind by their dead husbands. Criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. This is based on a British show that like Steve McQueen was obsessed with growing up. And um, I don't know if it sounds like too heisty or whatever for the Academy. Um, but I just I think with that assemblage of talent, we can't ignore it at all, you know? I thought I remembered it being about like a group of people whose husbands had died, but one of them was a man. Did I get that wrong somehow? I, I guess it's hard to tell when you just have the log line. Anyway, I'm excited to see what Daniel Kaluuya does in particular, and I hope his part isn't tiny. Is my main point. Yeah, I mean that's a big. It's a big old cast, so you never know. Beyond the the four widows are played by Viola Davis, Elizabeth Debicki, Michelle Rodriguez, Cynthia Revo. So I guess beyond those God, four, it's such a good cast. It's such a good cast. I know it's exactly right. Um, so and it's McQueen's follow up to. 12 Years a Slave. Like, it's weird that he hasn't made a movie in between them, although he's done a lot of producing. Um, yeah, we have a lot of recent Oscar players kind of back with their follow-ups. Damien Chazelle has his uh, Neil Armstrong movie. Barry Jenkins yep. has If Beale Street Could Talk. Alfonso Cuaron has, I think, his Gravity follow-up. Is that really his first movie since Gravity? Yeah. Um, so, and that yeah, movie filmed in, filmed in Mexico City with uh, an all-Mexican cast. So it's... Um, it's not going to be this like you know star-studded like glitzy thing, but I feel like Coron going from Gravity to something as sort of street level as uh, the movie's called Roma could really be you know something that people could really get behind. I think this is a filmmaker who now all of a sudden's got so much attention on him because of Gravity, and you know it's this essentially domestic drama set in the '70s. I want to say in Mexico City. And I think there's a lot of sort of gravitas that you could put behind that that could be campaignable. And Gosling as Neil Armstrong, I mean, that's oh, yeah. hard to bet against. Yeah, exactly. That's another one where, you know, best actor is is an easy category to sort of fill out a year ahead because, like, there's a lot of, you know, they make a lot of movies about men and, and there's a lot of actors who get really sort of juicy roles and that's definitely one of them. What about women? Are there women directors with with possibilities coming? Mimi Leader. Yeah. The Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, biopic, which is exciting with Felicity Jones. That's very exciting. I think Mimi Leader, who has such a great narrative of like being in movie jail and then doing such tremendous, astonishing work on The Leftovers. Once again, credit to Mike, who was always right about that show and I was always wrong. Um, and uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, and then this project sounds really I, I think people want to honor Mimi for this. That would be great if that turns out to like be such a good comeback story for her. Lynn Ramsey has a movie that's out in April, which is uh, hard to tell much about given an April release, but Joaquin Phoenix is in it. Well, and we saw it was it played Cannes last year, right? Where it got a lot of positive attention, it feels like. 
I guess the Richard isn't here to uh, ask for his expertise, but um. <laughs> uh, we talked about Maria Heller's movie. Can you ever forgive me? And then I believe there was one more that I was looking Jennifer for. Jennifer Kent. Um, oh, director of the Babadook. Who, yeah. Who did the Babadook has this movie called the Nightingale with Sam Claflin about um, a period pick from 1825 Tasmania. Young convict woman seeking revenge for the murder of her family takes an Aboriginal male outcast with her through the interior, gets much more than she bargained for. I don't know why Sam Claflin's the only actor listed here since he is neither a young convict woman nor an Aboriginal male. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure this, but Jennifer Kent, I mean, I thought the Babadook, I hate horror and I love the Babadook. I'm looking at IMDb and do not recognize these people, but um, like beyond Sam Claflin. So that would right. explain the log line. Why he's listed. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, and also a uh, woman director, Josie Rourke is directing Mary Queen of Scots, which is notable oh. because it's two best actress nominees from this past year. Right. Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie. Playing queens that want to kill each other. Playing queens that want to kill each other. I Who mean, doesn't want to see that? That's set for that November. Has to be good. November? Yeah. Good, yep. good, good, yeah. good, good. A shout on the representation side of things, but not a woman. Uh, John Chu is directing Crazy Rich Asians, which is the adaptation of the book that yes. is coming out in early August, which I, I think I've described many times as like the Help the Butler slot is kind of a like good quality but fun summer movie. Uh, I feel like there's going to be really good things for that. Like it might not be an oscar thing. I think it's going to be a hit, but I'm definitely going to keep my eye on that one. Joe, you have the Ang, Ang Lee uh, Thrilla Manila listed here. Do we feel like that's really going to come out this year no i feel like there's another angley movie that uh jumped ahead of that one in the queue for him um he's got an action sci-fi thing with will smith oh, gemini man that's the one yeah oh, so okay um but it's interesting you look at like you know talking about like a november release you look at the calendar has always been a decent indicator of what's going to get pushed for oscar and this year december is really heavy with action blockbusters for some reason we're like aquaman and um mortal engines which is the uh I believe Peter Jackson is producing that. Um, oh, right. And they're like on like cars running around it's, in the It's desert. London. London's on, on wheels or whatever. Um, Mary Poppins, the Transformers spinoff, Bumblebee, um, Alita Battle Angel, uh, Holmes and Watson. There's a lot of <laughs> like none of these are going to be Oscar plays one imagines um, unless the Academy really decides to go hard into the blockbuster category. Although I do have my sights on Mary Poppins. I think, like, there, there's no reason to rule it out, even though it's going to be a real challenge to top the performance of the original. I think that's a movie where you could see it showing up in, you know, a lot of the, you know, art direction costume categories. I think, I mean, Emily Blunt could blow everybody away with that performance. And that's, you know, then all of a sudden, if that's the case, well, it's, you know, blowing everybody away with the performance that won an Oscar for Julie Andrews. So. Or yeah, Lima Miranda shows up with a song win. Lynn versus Lady Gaga is oh, that's a true. song oh category I want to see. The EGOT Wars keeping, are back. I'm keeping Gaga on this piece of paper, but Lynn is a real spoiler. In At this category, point, it's so. weird that he doesn't have an Oscar. Like, I kind of keep thinking he does. Yeah. That feels like to me that Hollywood is realizing there's starting to be only two times a year that people actually go to the movies. One yeah, is in yeah. the summer to get the free air conditioning and yeah. one is in the holiday because the they week. gotta figure out something to do with do their with the annoying family. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. a good point. <laughs> do we feel like there's any chance for Rami Malek in the uh Freddie Mercury movie, <sighs> Bohemian no. Rhapsody? Which no. is set oh, for wow, December. Joanna. It's set for late December. It's hugely controversial because Brian Singer got, you know, bumped out of the director chair for Dexter Fletcher um, but at least they did it at least they Plus did it kind of like, the promo photo looks amazingly like Christopher uncanny. Plummer uh, situation like yeah one photo like it's one photo where they I swear they CGI enhanced his jaw to make him look more um, and uh, like and 
Brian Singer was already like the fifth director attached to that project. Rami Malek is like the 900th actor signed on to that project. Like that project is just so like embattled. I'm going to go hard no so that later next year you guys can all laugh at me. I just feel like <laughs> if I had somebody had brought up the Tanya Harding movie with Margot Robbie last year mm-hmm. to me, I would have been like, no, like, what are you crazy? So it, that one was not as embattled a production. Like, Joanna, you make a very good point there. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but if I had to guess, it may have to do also with like the Freddie Mercury estate and the band like that. There's a lot of reasons why music things can become a complete nightmare. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. There's stakeholders with a lot of money and, and representation and yeah. rights and all that stuff. Yeah. So maybe it might still be OK, but. Yeah, I believe the members of Queen for years were like, no, I don't like your vision. No, I don't like your vision. You can't have our music. Good luck doing a Freddie Mercury biopic without our music. And it's not even a biopic. It's like of this specific era of Queen or something like that. So um, I have another question, which is about Jonah Hill's Lady Bird, which is called Mid-90s. Jonah Hill's um, Lady Bird. Man, that is a good way to market that movie. <laughs> A story of a boy growing up in Los Angeles in the 1990s. It's isn't it, it like it's autobiographical. We got Luke, our boy Lucas Edges is back in another project. Yes, <laughs> Catherine Waterston. So um, yeah, I'm just gonna put that out there because the Academy loves Jonah Hill. How many times has been nominated? Twice. Like, it's true. Twice. twice. I um, hope he puts yeah. his sister in it. Yeah, I mean, she's oh, yeah. Lady Bird yeah. More Beanie Feldstein. Um, I want to go back to biopic pictures for a second. And the movie that I don't think any of us knew about till yesterday, uh, Judy, the Judy Garland biopic with Renee Zellweger in this picture. Oh, yeah. Free. It's filming now, so it doesn't. It might not come out this year. But I don't know. Keep an eye on it. It's really hard to know uh, for t- just from a photo. But she does look like Judy Garland. I can see that one sort of like showing up at one of the fall festivals being like, surprise, it's finished. And I feel like we're ready for a Renee Zellweger comeback, right? I feel like oh, yeah. we're... In a good yeah. place for that. I think right that now. move is the still Alice, where you just show up at a festival and you're like, "Oh, this is good," and then the actress like runs the whole table the rest of the season. I believe that it has already been branded the Renaissance. Um, <laughs> That's it's right I there am, for you. <laughs> I am super ready for it. I just once again, I I am just deeply skeptical of like biopic photos, like one still shot. And I'm like, yeah, she does look like Judy Garland in that photo. But like, yeah. does she sound like Judy Garland? Like, I assume they, they have original to audio? dub her. I can't. Like, I, that's the hard part I haven't mentioning. And I, like, I've seen Judy Davis play Judy Garland. Judy Davis was perfect as Judy Garland. So like, Renee, I don't know. Good luck to you. I like you a lot. <laughs> I have three really quick best actress possibilities that I want to throw out there to you guys. One is Kate Blanchett in the Richard Linkletter movie, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? One is I love that book. Yeah, see, based on a book everybody really loves. Linkletter with actresses is interesting because everybody sort of thinks of him as this like very like boy director, but like the before Sunrise Sunset movies like were such a great showcase for Julie Delpy. Um, there's Julianne Moore in the American remake of Gloria by uh, Sebastian Lelio's remaking his own movie. Um, that won Paulina Garcia a Best Actress award from the Berlin Film Festival, so like it's a really good role. And Taraji P. Henson in a movie called The Best of Enemies, where she plays a uh, sort of civil rights crusader up against the Ku Klux Klan, who was represented by Sam Rockwell in that movie. Hey, that guy's everywhere. Playing racist. Oh, Sam. What a what a typecast. <laughs> Those are three actors I actresses I would watch in just about anything. So I'm automatically interested in all three of these movies. You know, we mentioned Barry Jenkins earlier, but I feel like we should talk about him more because he won Best Picture. What is he? Is that a Best Picture possibility? And are there other nominations that could come out of it? I think because it's Barry Jenkins, then 
Yes. Uh, that And it's based off of a novel by... Um, James Baldwin. James Baldwin. Thank you. God, I was blanking on the name. Guys, I'm a little concerned about the premise of this. And, and I am... And Barry Jenkins, I trust. But isn't the premise like that Regina King is trying to like vindicate her partner who has been accused, falsely accused of rape. So it's about the like, you know, defense of a man who's been falsely accused of rape, which I think is going to put some hackles up. Am I, am I misremembering what this is about? I I believe that sounds correct as a, as, as a log line. I think this could be the way to get every man in the Academy <laughs> to vote for the movie. Actually. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I trust Barry Jenkins to adapt something like that intelligently and sensitively, but I definitely, okay, here's, here's the thing. I think whatever conversation, whatever knee jerk conversation around that movie will have nothing to do with Barry Jenkins' ability to sensitively and intelligently adapt a, a potentially complicated premise like that, because I think Barry Jenkins can do it, will do it. I think there will be like the Twitterati who will be like, uh, keep it. I don't want to see this, fo- this picture in the first place, you know? By then, I mean, we, we may be, Twitter even may be ready for a slightly more nuanced conversation about the racial dynamics of false rape accusations through, throughout Ooh, American history. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If Twitter is ready for nuance, then I am ready. <laughs> then to it will it. be a great year. <laughs> okay, I think we should start wrapping it up by making our predictions uh, as hard as it is to put everybody on the spot. And I'm going to start with a surprise prediction from Richard Lawson, who uh, submitted one before he had to take off. He is going with Boy Erase, the Lucas yeah. Hedges gay conversion movie, because it has the sentiment and political muscle to eke out a win. Joe, it sounded like you agree. I mean, I, I was sort of, when you said you had one from Richard, I was like, is Richard going to do Boy Erased? Because I was sort of on that wavelength, too. Yeah. Um, I was on the Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk wavelength, although Joanna brings up some very good points about that. I still feel like I have a lot of faith in Barry. And I think if there is any momentum behind him, all of a sudden then maybe we remember that like, oh, yeah, like Moonlight won Best Picture, but like Barry didn't get Best Director. And he's somebody who is incredibly likable and incredibly, you know, popular at this moment and maybe he can capitalize on that uh joanna how about you um oh god this can you come back to me i'm not ready <laughs> <laughs> mike how about you i'm gonna go with mary queen of scots that's a good one ah, nice so good oh god it's my turn now well whatever i say is just gonna be a guest um it's all every literally all of this is a guest. All yep, guests. that's all that's all we're doing uh, all of these movies may get pushed in next year for all we know we, we talked about this before we started recording about hometown pride or whatever i guess i'll go with beautiful boy beautiful boy the battle of the boy movies yeah, this is how i'm going to continue getting these movies confused so i was tempted to go with paul greengrass's norway which is uh we don't know anything about but it's about the uh, the terrorist attack at the camp in norway where the guy shot like 77 people uh yep. but because it seems like it could be cathartic in our gun culture time but i assume there's no stars in it so that'll make it tricky so at the last minute i'm going to the untitled dick cheney project I think Adam McKay's got the momentum. I think the idea of Bush era nostalgia could really propel it. Um, and Christian Bale has a good track record when he gains a ton of weight. This is a little reminiscent of your Darkest Hour pick last yeah. year. Oh but man, I like it. this is true. This is uh... <laughs> where I'm starting to understand the mind of Katie, Katie Rich. After Katie doing had a winning this. hand, and she's riding it all the way as far as she can take it. Pan out for me the first time. I'm not going to yeah. change tactics now. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Joe, we'll have you back in a year. 
again to, right, to uh, defend myself to yeah. defend ourselves we'll figure out which one of these was the detroit of 2018 right, uh, right but at exactly. least this time we talked about black panther so presumably there's nothing if 50 shades free really makes a run at best picture <laughs> of the year we can feel foolish boy egg will be on our face for that for sure. yeah. <laughs> peter rabbit the number two box office winner uh, 2018 so far you guys were all sleeping on paddington too. Ba- I, I was just gonna say it. paddington too man <laughs> come on <laughs> Joe, thank you again so much for joining us. People can find you wrote a whole article predicting next year's Oscars at Decider that people can find. And I guess follow you on Twitter to see more insane Oscar predictions. Do it. Yes. I will be I will be making insane Oscar predictions throughout the year, one one assumes. Yeah. You're at Joe Reed, right? At Joe Reed, R-E-I-D. Great. Uh, you can find the rest of us at vanityfair.com. Our Twitter handle is at Little Goldmen. We love hearing from you. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich, Mike. Dick Cheney Stan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's not taken? You don't have to add a number to it or anything? I yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's probably free. <laughs> and Joanna. Joe wrote this. And Richard is at Rylaws. He's off promoting his book, which you should go buy, as always. Yes. And leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Again, it, we appreciate it. It helps us find new listeners. This week's episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And this week's award for the best tactic for getting the Oscar producers to make next year's show better goes to Joe Reed. And they, like, totally revamped the cast, sent them all onto a beach, and gave them all back tattoos or whatever, from what I understand. <laughs>